Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Earlier this year, actress, writer, and director Justine Bateman made some headlines for saying this. Well, when you say, is there beauty in aging... Aren't you really saying, do you think it's possible for other people to find aging beautiful? And like, I just don't give a shit. In an interview, Bateman told 60 Minutes Australia, she simply won't use Botox, won't use plastic surgery to try and appear younger. When I heard this on one hand, I sat up and I applauded. On the other hand, I realized just how jarring it was to hear someone be so candid nowadays. And on top of all that, she's an actor. I mean, I still remember Justine as the young Mallory Keaton in Family Ties back in the 1980s. And every time I walk into a class, it's the same thing. Mallory Keaton, are you any relation to Alex Keaton? I say I am. Now, Justine appeared on that show back when she was just 16 years old. Well, today at 57, Bateman told 60 Minutes, she's happy with the way that her body is aged. In fact, in her latest book, She writes that she was, quote, elated by the creases on her cheeks when she smiled and says, quote, I saw the promising beginnings of small bags under my eyes. Now, perhaps no surprise, this is all against the backdrop that over the years, she says she faced a lot of pressure to stay young. In fact, to stay Mallory Keaton teenager age in the public's eyes. I like feeling that I am a different person now than I was when I was 20. And I like looking in the mirror and seeing that evidence. Now, I'm with Justine on this. Look, I'm no actor, but I am on television every day, so I kind of get the pressure that she's referring to. No doubt about it, we all age. Better than the alternative, as my mom says. So why then is her decision to forego things like fillers or Botox seen as such a big deal? Why is this even controversial? And what does that say about how the world we live in views aging? I asked her about this. I don't have anything bad to say about quote-unquote aging. I know that has such a negative connotation now, but I think it's fantastic. I mean, I'll look at pictures of myself from like three years ago or something and go like, oh my God, I know so much more now than I did then. I'm also going to ask an expert on beauty standards why there is so much pressure on women specifically to appear, quote-unquote, ageless. I mean, let's be clear. We live in a youth-obsessed culture. So people, regardless of gender, are going to feel pressure to look younger. Let me say this at the start. This is not one of those episodes of the podcast where I might tell you not to use anti-aging products or resort to oversimplifications like you have to love your body or you have to love your face just the way it is. I'm not going to do that. Also keep in mind a little bit of my frame of reference here. The majority of my life is spent as a husband and a dad to three beautiful teenage daughters. So I really wanted to listen and learn about the many pressures they may face as they age and mature. Later in the season, I'm going to introduce you to scientists who actually think of aging as a disease, one that can even be cured. 
You're going to hear a candid conversation with one of them. And I got to tell you, it's mind-boggling stuff. So I hope you're ready. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. And this is Chasing Life. I'm just wondering, how do you think about aging? Are you fearful of it? Do you embrace it? How would you describe that? I just don't. It doesn't occur to me. I don't think about it. I don't, I don't know. To me, it's just there's two ages, dead or alive, and you're one or the other. Is that unusual, do you think, that you don't think about it? Or is that the norm, I don't know. do you think? My whole goal is just to become the most me possible. And that, to me, involves getting rid of any buttons I've got. So I'm not making any fear-based decisions. I'm just making instinct-based decisions. You've evolved into to being able to do that. It sounds like you've had a lot of buttons and now you're able to progressively get rid of more and more buttons. Is that accurate? When I was young, I had, of course, I had a lot of buttons, which causes you to people please and do things that aren't you. And then over many years, I have had a process of understanding what my root fear was that caused me to behave contrary to who I am. And yeah, the more one does that, the more one can be themselves. When I sat down with Justine to have this conversation, it immediately became clear to me that she has some really strong views on all this. And all those buttons people pushed in her life made her less likely to care, to conform, to become something she wasn't, and rather to embrace what was naturally happening. Truth be told, Justine seems to be totally nonplussed by aging. And what I wondered is, was this always the case for her? Especially as someone with the unique experience of growing up in the public eye. When you did the 60 Minutes interview, you said, I don't give a shit, I think I look rad. My face represents who I am, I believe. But you also said in that interview that people have criticized your appearance. Oh, yeah, of course. What do they say? And if people are critical of your appearance and you come from the world of Hollywood, I just feel like that's hard. And that is some of the you would feel that pressure that I'm talking about seemingly even more so than other people. I'm just saying, look, if some fear made you change your face. Go deal with that fear so that it's not leading you around by the nose for the rest of your life. I want people to be free of these fears fears that are causing them to not be themselves. That's all. In some ways, after listening to Justine for a while, I realized that what she just said was the fundamental issue. Fear that is getting in the way of just being yourself. She even wrote a book about how society views women's aging. It's called Face, One Square Foot of Skin. The book of Face is about women's faces getting older and why that makes people angry. And it's based on my experiences and feelings about it. And then those of about 20 or so people I interviewed, mostly women. And then I would take their situations or their emotions or their opinions on the topic and incorporate them into short stories. I'll give you an example. There was one woman who told me that her mother was a former model, very tall, slender figure, and she had long blonde hair. And but she was in her mid 60s or something like this. And she was out walking and a bunch of guys on a construction site whistled at her and she was amused by that. And so she turned to look at them and a couple of them went, "Ooh!" that's when they saw her face and realized her age. They didn't realize her age when they just saw her figure. And what is it that you want 
people to take away from either that story or any of the other stories? Ideally, that there's nothing wrong with your face at all. There's absolutely nothing wrong with your face. Your face is perfect. It's exactly what it should be. You don't look at a tree and go, God, if only the bark was just a little less brown, or if only that branch didn't go off that way or this way. No, it's perfectly itself, right? So everybody's face is perfectly what it should be. And I feel the best way to get rid of a consuming collection of thoughts about one's face is to get at the root reason you're thinking it at all. In other words, complete the sentence. I'm afraid if people think I look old, then therefore everybody's got a completion to that sentence if they're concerned with their face. Like I'm, mm. for someone it might be, I'm afraid I'm never going to get a mate or I'm afraid I'll lose my job or won't get a job or no one's going to listen to me or whatever it is. And I'm saying, go deal with that because that is your fear and that's something that was in you before your face started changing. There's obviously a lot of pressure. There's a whole anti-aging industry. When people go out and get things like Botox, plastic surgery, whatever it might be, is that, do you think that's wrong for them to do that? Or how would you characterize people who do that? I don't know what's right or wrong for anybody. I'm not judge or jury about what, as your face and your body and your hair, you can do whatever you want with it. Makes no difference to me. I'm just saying if there's anyone out there who is feeling badly about themselves because their face is changing and feel like, oh, if I get plastic surgery or Botox or something, it'll make this feeling go away. I'm saying it's not going to do that. I'm saying take the opportunity to get rid of the fear instead of pulling a rug over it because the rug's never going to be enough. Hmm. I'm not here to say why someone would want to get Botox or plastic surgery or anything. I'm just saying if there's someone who feels shame about their face, go find out what the root fear is underneath that. Because if you get rid of that root fear, you just, you're going to become like Teflon. Trust me. I feel like I want to believe what you're saying, Justine. But I also, I live with four women, three daughters and my wife. I feel like there is sometimes unreasonable pressure by, him. by society. I don't think that this what is that society? big a surprise. What's society? Are you talking it's, about it's, advertisement that uh -huh. they're being blasted with on their social media feeds? Yeah, sure. Okay. Sure. And guess what? Stop looking at your social media. I'm sorry. I don't know if we can cuss here, but don't stop looking at your social media feed or start realizing that's not for you. What if they also got on their social media feeds methods to repair male pattern baldness? Would that bother them? Would they feel pressure to deal with their hair? No, they'd look at that and go, that doesn't apply to me. That's what I'm saying. So we're looking at these advertisements as something that does not apply to you. You don't need to fix your face. And would you subscribe to that because you want to be part of society? Would you say, oh, well, if I'm going to be part of society, then I must change my face? This is an advertisement. This is marketing. Understand mm -hmm. the difference between what you truly should be as a person and what is marketing. They're just trying to sell you something. I, I hear you. I'm just trying to contextualize it for, yeah, they should get off social media. They should not look at advertising. They should not pay attention to these unrealistic patterns of beauty that people are trying to attain. 
I, I, I agree with you on all that, but I feel like it's a hard place to get to because there is such a focus on not only slowing down aging, but to continue to look young. I guess they could ask themselves, why are they susceptible to these ads? What do they think is going to happen if they don't look like these overly airbrushed BS photos? What is my fear? If I don't do what this ad is telling me, what is going to happen to me? And mm. write it out. I really encourage writing it out or saying it out loud because for me, all the irrational fears will stay under that rug unless you say it out loud or write it down. And then you're able to look at it and go, no, that's really interesting. It's the irrational fears that are driving the ship. Justine and I went back and forth a little bit, especially near the end of our conversation, because I really respect and frankly even admire her way of thinking. But the real world in which we live is, right or wrong, filled with lots of pressures. And it's not just social media and advertising. It's finding a mate. It's finding a job. It's why Yale University professor Becca Levy told me earlier this season, there is a whole very profitable industry dedicated to selling youth. The growing anti-aging industry actually profits from this idea of old age as something that we want to fight and combat and overcome. Now, to be clear, I'm not necessarily just talking about the physical impacts of aging. I'm talking more about looking young. The standards there keep changing, and the truth is it's even more so for women. There is the expectation that if you can, quote-unquote, look better, you should try. You should use proactive. You should get the Botox. You should go to Erewhon and, and try to get, you know, the, the keto meals. Later, we're going to talk about something really important. How to really make peace with your body, no matter how old you are. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. And now back to Chasing Life. When Sabrina Strings was a little girl, she experienced something no child should have to go through. Being dark-skinned and having kinky hair, there were a lot of Black people, as it turns out, and especially Black boys, 
who would make fun of me um, and tell me that I was ugly. And not for nothing, there was also one of my own relatives, um, a white Latina who was married into our family many years ago. And she would tell me that, you know what, your family tells you that you're cute, but I want you to know that you're actually ugly. Ouch. That was really painful to hear, and it made me wonder what my own girls have heard at different points in their lives and how that affected them. Sabrina says these experiences were really influential for her, and they got her thinking about the significance of beauty for women in America. Today, she's an associate professor of sociology at the University of California, Irvine. She's also the author of several books about the intersection of media, gender, race, and beauty standards. My research examines race, gender, and embodiment in the history of science, in the history of medicine and contemporary medicine, and also in contemporary media. And now as an adult, Sabrina says it's still all very personal. But listen to how she has evolved. I f-ing love being in my 40s. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to curse, but you all can <laughs> tell me I can do it. I love it. This is my favorite decade by far. Um, and, you know, talking to other women, especially older women, there's a sense of empowerment. There's a sense of self-belief, you know. So I go out in the world and I feel so excited about who I get to meet, what I get to do, where I am in my career and things of that nature, um, even as I do nevertheless still feel the pressure to at least facially appear youthful. So there's that interesting conflict, that interesting paradox that we navigate as human beings, you know, is that we contain multitudes. So I am so joyous, and yet I also do feel pressure. That's it exactly. For me, the 50s have been the best decade of my life. And yet, at the same time, I realize I am aging, that I have more years in the rearview mirror than in front of me. So it's complicated. I mean, actually, there's there's a curious sort of double-edged sword here. Because for most of my life, including when I got my position here, I looked far younger than my age. And so there were always questions about my competence. Because Black women don't maybe age at the same rate as white women, there is the sense that, wait, you have this position? Are you qualified? You look too young, right? So I got quite a bit of that in my first few years. Then I started to get more age shame for looking older. So there was a quick switch. And then I felt pressured to try to look younger again. And so, you know, I don't mind saying that I've had microneedling. And part of what microneedling does is it like rejuvenates the skin. It stimulates the collagen. And I'm not ashamed that I got this, but I do have to ask myself, would I have done this if it weren't for the tremendous pressure for women to still be considered youthful and attractive in our society? I do love the fact that Professor Strings is so open about these issues. She's an expert in beauty standards. And after putting it all together, she had microneedling to chase youth a little longer. I mean, let's be clear. We live in a youth-obsessed culture. So people, regardless of gender, are going to feel pressure to look younger. I mean, this is even true for cisgender heterosexual men at this point. But it is undeniable that there has been a far greater pressure historically and even contemporarily on women to look young. And the reason for that is that we live in a patriarchy, a male-dominated society, in which men expect women to look young in order to be considered viable partners for them. It doesn't matter if the women in question have any interest in men at all. It doesn't matter if the women are gay, queer, anything. The point is that for women, there is a very clear standard 
rooted in male ideation, which is that women should look young. If you listen closely, you'll understand that Professor Strings is making the case that current beauty standards are still greatly influenced by how we evolved in the first place. Part of the thing with heterosexuality is the expectation that women should appear to be youthful enough to be, well, childbearing, right? At least we're talking about historically. So there was the expectation that older women were more or less out of the game. They were not to be selected by men at all because, well, these women were not of the age of reproduction. So youthfulness was something that had been sought for a very long time in women in order to assess whether or not a woman was a viable partner, could produce offspring, etc. So this is part of the reason why in our society structured around romance, women are expected to look young. So if it is programmed into who we are as human beings, I wanted to know, does she think this is a problem that's always going to be there? Is it going to get better or worse? Professor String says Hollywood could give us some clues here. Do we see women in roles where they speak to other women? Do we see women in roles where they are not the love interest for a heterosexual male? Not as often as should be the case. And so to the extent that Hollywood keeps giving us the same things again and again and again, and the media is such a powerful influence in our lives, it's hard to suggest that we're seeing very much in the way of an evolution as it pertains to questions of beauty and aging for women. The lack of representation Professor Strings is describing is very real. There was this recent study from the San Diego State Center for the Study of Women in Television and Film, which suggests that available parts for women drop off a cliff as they get older. In 2022, only 4% of major female characters in films on major streaming networks were in their 60s. One thing that I think is absolutely understudied are the mental health impacts for older women of the expectation of looking young all the time. And I think part of the reason why we don't focus on that is that there's a lot of expectations that older women are going to have, let's say, families already, success in their careers. In other words, they're going to have other forms of validation such that the question of appearance is not going to be as important. But you might be surprised. You know, I spoke to a woman um, maybe about a decade ago who was, I want to say, like in her late 60s at that time. And she talked about how devastating it was to feel invisible. You know, being a woman who is in her 60s, who looks like she's in her 60s, she's like, no one looks at me, no one talks to me. It's just as if she was a ghost. And that was extremely eye-opening for me at the time because it didn't occur to me that you could be a white woman with blonde hair and feel like no one could see you because of your age. But that was her particular experience. And it's a reality for a lot of people. So again, using things like Botox or frankly, even things like makeup ends up being a really personal decision and at times a really challenging decision. We can't shame women who take advantage of these various procedures because not only are they more likely to just go through their day without being shamed, but they can be affirming. And not just affirming for women, but affirming for people across various genders. I mean, there are so many different reasons now why gender nonconforming people, women, cisgender men, why people across gender identity are choosing to have Botox or fillers, or in my case, microneedling, because it can be a way of showing up in the world and feeling less like you're going to be torn down. We can't really shame people for getting them because people get them for a host of reasons. 
And also because our society demands that we look a particular way. So we're betwixt in between. So until we live in a world in which people can appear the way they are naturally, we should not be surprised that people choose procedures. It's like trying to find perfection in an imperfect world where there aren't any perfect answers. It's the same decision tree Justine Bateman has been going through over the last few decades. On the one hand, I want to affirm that what Justine Bateman is doing is brave in many respects. It allows other women to see that it's possible to accept your body as it is aging, even as someone who is still involved in media and entertainment as she is. But we also have to recognize that she's been in the game for quite a long time. And this gives her more power than a lot of other women who are still trying to make a name for themselves. And so these women, especially those in media and entertainment, don't really have the option to completely opt out of looking a particular way, because that's the same as trying to bite the hand that employs you. Even though Tom Cruise can be on his, I don't know, 10th Mission Impossible film, his leading lady should nevertheless not look beyond the age of about 35. And so we can't imagine some woman who is not endeavoring to look young being a leading lady in Hollywood because of its rarity. So there's still going to be the need for the structures that are making demands on women to change and not just individual women opting out. Think about that. What she's really saying is that the system has to change, not women. We need to change the world that we live in. Until we make space for women to be valued, regardless of their age, then women are still going to be trying to look younger because it's the way in which women have value. And again, not just women. Increasingly, we find people of other genders who are also engaging in these practices for a variety of reasons, but not the least of which is that there is a high premium placed on youth in our society. But how we change these beauty standards, that's the million-dollar question. It's something Justine weighed in on as well. I, I want to be able to be someone who helps change the conversation around aging. Because I think, aside from you, everyone else that I've talked to is probably overly consumed with this topic. For a lot of people, aging is a frightening thing. It's a four-letter word, so to speak. Um, even though, again, we're doing it every second of every day. But why? So this is what I'm talking about. So you say a lot of these people are saying aging is a frightening thing. But why? I think maybe they imagine a life that's going to have more aches and pains. It's going to have more difficult sleep. They're not going to have as much strength. People have different perceptions of what they think aging means. But it seems like there's a significant push to try and delay that as long as possible. Stay young as long as possible, because that's a time of life when you may feel the most functional. Maybe it's a time of life when you feel the most beautiful. I don't know. I, I imagine it's different for different people, but it does feel like that is a, that is, it's mythology, I think, to your point, quite a bit, but it is real as well. And so I want to have the conversation without being dismissive toward people who do feel that way. Well, I'm not being dismissive of them. I'm saying like, whenever I look at the irrational fears that I have there underneath a button, I always endeavor to discover what I'm getting out of holding on to that fear. Because mm -hmm. I'm benefiting somehow from holding on to that fear. So for me, I'm like, 
Yeah, it's natural for a body to have more aches and pains. It's natural for the creases on my face to increase as I get older. This is all natural or for my hair to get more gray hairs and it's getting, that's natural. That's supposed to happen. So mm -hmm. I'm like, cool. I'm interested in what that's all going to look like. I don't have to be afraid of it. It's mm. the odds of it happening are pretty likely. But man, if I'm walking around afraid of that all the time, mm. I'm missing this day today where that's not mm. happening. I just feel like I'll deal with it if it happens, but I'm not going to sit here be afraid of it all day until it happens. Because you know what? It might not. And then you spend all that time, you wasted all those days being afraid of something. You know, I went into today's episode really wanting to listen and to learn, to better understand the extent of the pressures both Justine Bateman and Sabrina Strings described today. And I did. I learned a lot. Some of it exactly what I expected, some of it kind of mind-blowing. But what I do know is that changing the narrative around beauty and aging, especially around women, is on all of us. So that the next generation, kids like my teenage girls, find things a little better, less pressurized, less youth-obsessed, more realistic than we found them. And next week, we're going to continue the journey of rethinking the way we age. We're going to hear how some people are going to great lengths to try and live longer. I do two 10-day water fasts every year. So that would be, you know, literally not eating for 10 days, just drinking water and getting your salt. You know, you can put salt on your tongue for the electrolytes. We'll be back next Tuesday with an episode all about the science behind the search for eternal youth. Thanks for listening. Chasing Life is a production of CNN Audio. Our podcast is produced by David Rind, Xavier Lopez, and Grace Walker. Our senior producer and showrunner is Felicia Patinkin. Andrea Kane is our medical writer, and Tommy Bazarian is our engineer. Dan DeJula is our technical director, and the executive producer of CNN Audio is Steve Lichtai. Also, a special thanks to Ben Tinker, Amanda Seeley, and Nadia Kuneng of CNN Health. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.